We're going to start today's session, however, with a conversation with Doug Atkin of Communitas Capital Partners. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Doug, let's start by uh, introducing you to our audience. Uh, tell us about yourself. Tell us about Communitas. What are you doing? What is the investment thesis of the fund? How big is it? And so on. Yeah, sure. So, um, I have been an investor and uh, operator in financial technology for uh, many years, too many to, to uh, be willing to admit. Um, I have run the first electronic uh, competitor to NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. It was my first job out of college. We were 20 people and then great group of people, right place, right time. Uh, it grew and I became CEO and took it public and then subsequently got sold to NASDAQ for uh, over a billion dollars. And then since then, I've been investing and, as I said, operating uh, companies in the space. Two people I grew up with in the business, um, I founded a venture fund with uh, last year. So the two people are Tom Gloser, who was the former CEO of Reuters, and Duncan Niederauer, who's the former CEO of the New York Stock Exchange. So mm -hmm. the three of us have known each other for years, have invested together for years. Between us have done over, uh, God, 125 investments. Uh, of course, a number of them have gone to zero, but we've been fortunate enough to invest in eight of the so-called unicorns. Um, yeah. And then last year, we've been talking about it for a while, so all we really did was formalize what we've been doing informally for years. So we took some of our money, some friends and family money, and just created a small vehicle to invest. Um, and then we, the friends and family, have quite a bit of money to co-invest, and we were off to the races, have done 10 investments, and uh, here we are. All right. So um, is FinTech the only sector that you're going to be doing? No. Uh, we, we view it, FinTech, uh, broadly speaking. So the equity markets were the first markets to be turned upside down uh, by technology. First, I hate the word disruptive, so I'm going to try to use it as a uh, few times as possible, along with blockchain, AI, and deep machine learning. But uh, mm -hmm. we'll see if we can get through it. Um, okay. So Equity, I'm only kidding. The equity markets were really turned upside down by technology. It was the first sector of the entire economy uh, for that to happen. And the same pattern that, uh, or, you know, movie that took place with all the technology that had to uh, come into existence 
when there were competing exchanges, that pattern is happening in other areas of financial services as well as other industries. So when we see a pattern um, uh, appear, uh, we invest in it. So we also invest in marketplaces of any kind. Okay. So given that pattern record, go ahead. So a couple of um, kind of like vital statistics questions. Communitas partners, the, the vehicle, I know you have additional friends and family money that will be co-invested with that, but what is the size of the core uh, Communitas Capital vehicle? Yeah, we just launched it with uh, $20 million with friends and family money. We haven't really spent any time going out and getting additional capital. But so, um, follow-on question to that is stage. Um, what stage are you going to focus on? Typically Series C or Series A, but we are more uh, sector experts than anything else. So if we see something late stage and we view it as a real opportunity, we will uh, we will invest, but typically Series C, Series A, we typically don't invest uh, pre-revenue. So I want to ask you a little bit about how you are thinking about seed investments. You know, our community is very much early stage, right? Our, yeah. We are one million by one million, so obviously by definition, we are working with very early stage ventures. Um, yeah. How do you think about seed investment in fintech. Often, fintech companies don't follow, like for example, if you look at um, B2B SaaS, which is a very popular category with venture investors, B2B yeah. SaaS is not that difficult to validate and bootstrap to a few customers, product market fit, and so on. So seed investment in B2B SaaS is very well understood. FinTech is slightly different. FinTech some, sometimes, in, in a, I, what, I, what I use the terminology, fast startups, whereas B2B uh, SaaS can be done as lean startups. FinTech is not that easy to do as lean startups. Would you comment on this? How do you view that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that, with that statement. I think FinTech is uh, well, I would separate fintech into sort of two areas, and geographically and also business model-wise. So mm -hmm. things that are uh, direct to consumer are typically West Coast, and um, you know just go directly to uh, individuals. So finance apps. Uh, the the apps that are more B2B, or not apps, business models are typically New York or London based. They're started by people with experience in the industry because yeah. you really do, you do need to know how, what goes on in the software fast, sure. how to attack a big bank. Um, sure. And some of these do need the B2B businesses need a bit more money, typically. B2B businesses need less money, I think. Um, it, I mean, it, 
it um, I think it all depends. If you're building a business and analytics package, which you're selling to the big banks and asset managers, uh, you need uh, a decent amount of money to build something of industrial you know, uh, quality. And uh, a lot of these things take a bit more money. I mean, it's so hard to generalize. I think so the, the, the uh, comment I would make is that it's very hard to customer acquisition in B2C is actually hard to uh, do in a lean way, um, which is what has, you know, drawn so much capital into the B2C side of the business. At least in B2B, um, you can put together a minimum viable product and start getting people to pay for it. and, and the business model starts to monetize faster, whereas B2C often doesn't monetize as quickly. Anyway, yeah, so I, think, I, I yeah. guess what yeah. I was interpreting your question as is when you just started up, I think yeah. starting up, uh, um, you know, uh, consumer product is uh, to have a minimally viable product that clients or customers. Uh, so building the product, you're right. Building the product is easier with yeah. the uh, then, stuff. Sure. Right. And then on the you know the the direct to consumer financial services apps. Uh, again, I think well we'll get into valuations, but this has gotten way out of control. And you're right, they're piling massive amounts of money to acquire customers and losing money on every customer. And yeah, and how does that work? Losing money on every customer and then making money in the, in the bottom line? How does that work? Math doesn't work. <laughs> you, you, so, you, you, you just hope the music uh, doesn't stop and that a big strategic comes in and buys you or you go public before the stock crashes. So those are the, those are the, uh, uh, those are the ways uh, forward. So you said um, in your introduction that you're, you're part of eight uh, FinTech unicorns. Could you talk about which ones they are and, and what have you learned through that pool of investments that you bring into the next phase of investing and that we can learn from you about? Yeah, I mean, I'll just uh, talk about a few. So a couple have been in the peer-to-peer -peer, you know, lending uh, space. So going Very back to, time. yeah, so going back to pattern recognition, uh, what happened in the equities markets when uh, technology came in and made things more efficient and put um, clients on an equal playing field with, you know, banks, so to speak. Um, the same dynamics were at play with consumer loans or college, uh, you know, loan refinancing. So it's not that we were that smart, it's, it's we just saw the same pattern occurring. And uh, so, uh, between the well, between the three of us, we have been investors in many uh, business models in this space, but uh, uh, SoFi and uh, 
lending club. So, let me ask you one over. question about the peer-to-peer -peer lending market. That market is generally business model-wise sound, right? If you control your cost of customer acquisition, it has a sound business model. If you just manage your cost structure, you should be able to build sustainable, profitable businesses and fairly scalable. Is that a correct statement? Um, yeah, I think what happened, though, and again, this is, this is all about you know, when you get into a company. So if you get into a neobank at a $50 million valuation and, you know, N26, I think, was just valued at a billion, um, that's fantastic. Uh, lending I don't know if that is fantastic. I think valuations getting ahead of the market, getting ahead of the business well, is not necessarily fantastic. I'm just saying if you're an early investor and you can get out before the music stops, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So uh, in peer-to-peer -peer lending, the same thing occurred. Uh, you know, when uh, one of these peer-to-peer -peer lenders is at a $100 million valuation and it's truly peer-to-peer, uh, and it grows, even though it's losing money, uh, you know, the valuation definitely increases. Uh, what happened in the peer-to-peer -peer lending space with Lending Club and Prosper is they began as peer-to-peer, -peer, so many-to-many, -many, and what ended up happening is hedge funds liked the instruments that were on the platform and began to take down the majority of the trade, so to speak. And then Wall Street woke up and said, you know what, you're not an exchange, you're a loan originator, and that's a very competitive business with very different multiples. So Lending Club is trading at, I think, 30% of where it went public. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, going forward, from an investment thesis point of view, what patterns do you see emerging? Uh, one, I'll start you off with something that we just had last week, actually, as our yeah. guest, um, an investor from India. Now, yeah. there's a very interesting trend that has started in India with the advent of Reliance Geo. Uh, you may have uh, may be familiar with this. Geo is this phone that Reliance is giving out for very cheap, almost for free, and yeah. um, and Reliance is pouring incredible amounts of money. And there, in Reliance's investment thesis, is that the the data and the advertising opportunity and all of that that's going to be created out of this is going to be how they will monetize. So fintech is very big on the radar of all the investors who are trying to make money off the Geo ecosystem, 400 million new consumers. So the first wave of Indian internet is the 100 million more affluent consumers. The second wave, the Geo-led development is 400 million consumers, and there are investors who are really looking to you know, tap into that opportunity, and, and FinTech is very high on their agenda. So that's just one pattern that is developing in India. FinTech is a, is a global secular trend. Uh, we are seeing it from many, many different markets. Latin America is seeing it, Africa is seeing it, everybody 
is seeing it. So I'm curious on what you, from where you sit and from your vantage point, what fintech trends are you seeing? Yeah, it's a great question. So first of all, we'll invest anywhere. We haven't invested in India, but we invest in Israel where uh, uh, so much uh, interesting technology is being built. Sure. We invest in London, which is a fintech center, and certainly in the States. We try to stay away from Silicon Valley just because it's you know, absolutely insane. Um, in terms of, of one of our uh, main theses is alternative data. I ran the first data-driven research company for hedge funds where they were the biggest clients, and we've invested in a company that gets pinpoint geolocation data from a massive amount of cell phones, or let's just say mm -hmm. app cell phone sources around the world, and the biggest users are in the asset management space, and then you can expand that into real estate and uh, insurance, and all other kinds of channels. So we love alternative data. Okay. We have actually a company that I'm thinking about in our program that you would like probably speak directly to what you just said. Um, Perfect. So you said you've invested in 10 companies already from this uh, vehicle. Could you talk about some examples and, and um, specifically talk about in what stage did you um, encounter them and what was it about what they have that um, you know caused you to make the investments? I'm trying to understand how you evaluate investments and I think it will be helpful for the audience to listen to how you think about deals. Yeah, so um... Excellent question. Let me give you a couple of examples. So one late stage and one uh, very early stage with you know, barely revenues. So uh, we're fortunate, one, we're fortunate that because we've been in the business so long and the three of us have run you know, pretty big companies that we're just inundated with deal flow. Um, from companies, even those who aren't raising capital, who approach us and want us to get involved and will open up a, you know, a prior round for us or figure out a way to do it. So we, we see a lot of inbound flow and that meets our, you know, our criteria. Um, this pattern recognition criteria. So and uh, where we don't see uh, companies coming in for a strong thesis we have, we do go out and poke our nose out and, and look for one. So mm -hmm. one example is a company uh, that is out in Silicon Valley um, that approached us and wanted us involved. They did not have any venture investors. They have the who's who of uh, individuals out in the valley, including the president of Stanford and Reed Hoffman and Yang and 
you know, we don't invest because of other people are investing. But uh, this company, um, going back to pattern recognition, what happened in the equities markets is it went from two exchanges only to now there's 40 exchanges on where to trade Intel or IBM or Pinterest, doesn't matter. Um, and what you need is a technology middleware layer that aggregates all the market data, enables you to route orders effectively to those exchanges to perform analytics on all that data. So, again, we're not that smart, but we saw, you know what, there's 130 crypto exchanges. Now, I happen to think crypto is tulips, I might be uh, wrong, but uh, I don't, we don't much care as long as people continue to trade. And what we found was a company that did the same thing, that it linked all the exchanges together, gets, performs analytics on all the data within each exchange and across exchanges, and it, in essence, powers up hedge funds to trade or banks to trade more effectively in that market. And they've also, which is really interesting, have created, in essence, an app development platform so that uh, people, <laughs> you know, do not, can just build their apps on top of this operating system and they, mm -hmm. they're getting great traction. That was very early stage. Um, mm -hmm. The later stage example would be a company called uh, uh, Comply Advantage, which is a UK-based company that does any uh, anti-money laundering or AML analysis mm -hmm. and KYC or know your customer. It's been very inefficient process. Uh, yeah. It's been very inaccurate for the big banks and insurance companies. And this company has come in and is using massive amounts of data and technology to do a much better job and a lot uh, faster for these uh, big clients. And that's later. So, um, you know, one area that is coming up in our um, practice quite a lot is um, the financial, financial services industry is full of uh, very fat back office uh, business processes that are yep. done manually and, um, you know, outsourced to India, outsourced to Cognizant, outsourced to Infosys yep. and blah, blah, blah. Um, and many of those are ripe for AI-driven automation, where you basically, by applying software, you take out 1,000 people or 5,000 people operations with just the introduction of a piece of software. Can yeah. you comment on, on if this is a trend that you are seeing as well? Yeah, I think uh, certainly banks, uh, I mean, you need two things. You need uh, tools to help increase revenues or tools to help decrease costs. And going back to Comply Advantage, you are using technology uh, to do an extremely important function uh, much more effectively at a lower cost. So we are 
looking for business models that um, that do the same thing. And yeah, I completely agree that the big banks uh, are desperate for technology that can help them uh, cut costs significantly. Yeah, big banks, and also I would say all the you know smaller fund managers who are dependent on data, right? That that's data is the area where this kind of um, AI-driven automation is going to have the maximum ability to impact business processes. Yeah, and I think that's more on the revenue generation side. So what hedge funds? Uh, the most valuable data for hedge funds is uh, right now alternative data sets that they bring in and put analytics on top of to help them make better investment decisions. So that's a real, uh, that's where the smaller hedge funds are spending uh, a lot of their time. Fantastic. Well, fascinating, Doug. It's been a very, very uh, interesting conversation, and I hope we can uh, do some business together in uh, due course. Thank you for coming today. That's great, and thank you for having me. And we'll My speak pleasure. soon. We'll speak All soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.